Welcome to Open to Truth. My name's Clinton. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back. And today I want to grill Tony. Oh man. On whether or not he is rational. I already know the answer. So you think you're rational? No. I'm not very confident in my ability to be rational. Oh, I'm going to be exposed today. Why don't you think you are? I'm just bad at this stuff, man. I know my intuitions can't be trusted on some of this stuff. Because you've you, this is the kind of thing you've asked me these little puzzle questions in the car, and I and I can see the trap that you're setting for me, but I still want to say the obvious answer. Yeah. And you go, yeah, that is what you want to say, but <laughs> wrong. Yeah. So um, that's probably going to happen all day today. Okay. Well, be- I want to start off with maybe some softballs. Okay. But what? So at least in this part one, I want to go over what we can call fallacies of reasoning. Yeah. And a fallacy, yeah, it's just a way that an argument can go awry. It's a flaw in mm-hmm. in your reasoning powers. You're maybe jumping to a conclusion that you shouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, maybe the evidential basis is weak for the claim that you're trying to make in some way. And some of these can be tricky and attractive. And that's why it's worth taking some time to break them down and explore them. Because I think as we go through these fallacies, we'll probably find that we have all been guilty of at least one of these at some point in our life. Right. You know, and I think they come up in all areas. Yeah. It can come up in a marriage. You're fighting with your spouse. Certainly. uh, In the church, in politics. Yeah. Whatever it is at your workplace. These are, this is a consistent human problem. Right. Wherever you find yourself, it's possible that you're engaging in cheap shots, different fallacies to try to win. Yeah. Uh, you aren't really being open to truth and you're using what you think is reasoning as a cudgel and it's not good reasoning. Right. It's just a, a power play. Well, it might even be worth talking about just when we say argument, what we mean by that. We don't just mean good quarrel. Yeah. You know, we don't, ju- although a lot of the times quarrel, quarrels contain arguments, but mm. do you want to articulate what we actually mean by argument? Yeah. How I'm using that word is, uh, an argument is a set of claims where one is presenting reasons for a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes we call those reasons premises yep. of your argument. And they work together to try to... Um, Persuade, right? Yep. You're trying to... To demonstrate the truth of a conclusion. Yeah. So really crucial in a, in a podcast called Open to Truth, where we hope that we and our listeners are open to having our minds changed. Um. It, we're going to be dealing with arguments. We'll be presenting our own thought processes as arguments to try to persuade you occasionally. Um, but then we'll be grappling with arguments that are trying to persuade us or that we're finding ourselves persuaded by. And so delving into these fallacies just helps us to th- make sure that we're thinking clearly about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll start right away with perhaps the one that's pretty easy to recognize as a fallacy. Okay. It's pretty rampant. Uh <laughs> And that's ad hominem. Yeah. It's Latin for to the man or mm-hmm. against the man. And what that's saying is you're not actually attacking the argument. You're attacking the person that's making the argument. And that's a fallacy. Yeah. When you pretend that your comments about a person undermine the content of their argument. Yeah. This can come up uh, particularly nasty sometimes in marriages or close relationships where you feel like you're losing an argument so you just point out a character flaw mm-hmm. or you point out something you don't you just th- hurl an insult and hope that that staves off 
right. the impending conclusion. I do have a question on this, though, because mm-hmm. with a lot of these fallacies, there is kind of a nugget of truth that makes them attractive. Um, suppose you have a situation where somebody uh, is trying to tell you something or convince you of something, and you know that they are just a habitual liar. Yes. So does this, should this undermine my confidence in what they're saying? You know, like, should I allow the fact that they are a habitual liar, which is a character Mm -hmm. deficit, should that influence whether or not I trust what they're telling me? No, I don't think so. I think that's a non-fallacious attack if you want to call it or yeah, a comment on a person i'm so yeah i think that uh yeah character traits can influence my justification mm-hmm. my reasons for believing something but it doesn't mean that the view being espoused is false right so a lot so say it's snowing outside and this guy liar larry mm-hmm. tells you man, it's really snowing outside. Well, you're just a liar, man. I don't trust you. Well, it could still be snowing outside, you know? (laughs) So liars can speak truths on occasion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They can't. And, or, or it's kind of besides the point whether it in fact is snowing. Mm. It's just, uh, if you have been known to speak falsehoods in the past, I have a reason to withhold judgment on what you're saying or your testimony yeah your uh testifying of events in the world holds a little evidential value adding much weight for me yeah like i have to go and investigate that claim through other means right not just your testimony but crucially i'm not saying that you're you are incorrect yeah because of that because you're alive that would be an ad hominem fallacy okay but i'm just withholding judgment yeah. In those cases. And is this the kind of thing you see in uh, political campaigns where, you know, they'll like try to attack the character of their opponents on television commercials, radio commercials? Well, here, here's like a pretty classic example that happened during the George W. Bush mm. administration. Uh, we had the war in Iraq, that which at the time was pretty unanimous after 9-11. We need to go go after bin Laden. And that started off in Afghanistan, and then maybe Saddam was helping fund Al-Qaeda, so we went after Saddam. But kind of in retrospect, or even at the time, some people were saying, oh, George W. Bush only wants to do this because uh, he has connections to Halliburton, the oil company, and they they want control of oil in the Middle East. Mm. I think that would be, depending on how far you're pushing that it borders on like a ad hominem fallacy a, a particular type of it we might call circumstantial mm. so because someone stands to gain from uh, a future set of events that they're arguing for then that person is mistaken right about what ought to be done right so it, okay you know what i mean yep like so the claim that we ought to invade iraq uh well that's false because George W. stands to gain from it. No, no. That's, that's a fallacy. Separate, separate issue, whether or not he stands to <laughs> that's gain. That's a fallacy of reasoning. You're attacking the person rather than the content of yeah. the claim. Yeah. We might ought to go for other reasons. Yeah. Pretty easy one to spot, ad hominem, yeah. for the most part. Or, uh, I'm not going to believe what this guy says about his, in his history book, because he was just trying to say things to drum up sales. 
you know <laughs> yeah like he was writing in a sensational way to try to drum up sales and i'm not going to believe the content well why don't we just assess the argument on its own merits whatever that person's saying mm-hmm. it might very well be that that's the way that they write and they're, they, they are trying to do that but that's not a reason to under that doesn't undermine an argument yeah like we were saying it might undermine the testimonial evidence but not the actual claim being made sure okay okay good on that one yeah i think i've got a clear handle on that one and of course yeah i mean this can happen in the church too people we uh you know say attribute certain character traits to people and disparage what they have to say on that basis right well i was just thinking i don't know if this is ad hominem we were bouncing this around earlier but you know we i've run into people who you know they won't they won't want to read a particular author because of some view that they think or know that the author holds. Mm-hmm. So oh, don't don't read Rob Bell. He's a universalist. Okay. Is that a good reason to not read Rob Bell's material? Right. And I want to say no. It's and not. why? so why not though? So, yeah. So don't read Rob Bell. He's a universalist. There's clearly, there's some hidden premises going on there premises that aren't being stated the conclusion is don't read rob bell mm-hmm. you know he's a universalist after all yeah well and there's, so, there's something being left unsaid yeah there. there's a there's what's so we talked about like an argument as a set of premises and conclusion mm-hmm. and sometimes we leave premises unstated just because it's easier to talk that way yeah but it can leave like really important information out so like why would someone be making that claim don't read rob bell that's a conclusion. After all, he's a universalist. That's a premise. But you're missing some connecting feature, like that that call to action that ought not, you ought not do something. Yeah. And then just a description of a belief. Right. So you might, the unstated premise might be uh, universalism, universalism is an incorrect theological view. Yep. And then another premise, uh, it's bad to spend a lot of time thinking about incorrect theological views yeah or exposing yourself to them right you're bad you're more likely to adopt false beliefs and that's a bad thing and right for some camps that could even be salvifically right detrimental if you believe the wrong (laughs) thing you will go to hell all of that can be wrapped up into a little statement like oh don't read rob bell he's universalist and depending on what those unstated premises are it can become more or less convincing when yeah. someone may, like says that to you when you spell them out so if the claim is oh you it's bad to read material from someone that has sometimes said something incorrect <laughs> like that is that's too high of a bar for uh permissible you would never readership. read anything man right yeah <laughs> instead like a more reasonable person i think would probably say oh i'm i can read a whole host of a whole array of different types of things, even though maybe all of them have some incorrect sentences in there. Yeah, eat the That's meat, part of my spit out the way of growing as a reader and thinker. I, I come across ideas and grapple get, with them and practice right. discernment. Yeah. So just be careful too when when you encounter these little quips or little short arguments. There can be unstated premises, or maybe you're saying these kind of things yourself. I think most in most normal sort of lay conversations premises are left unsaid yeah don't you think like Mm -hmm. in casual speech nobody's it would be weird if they laid out 
like four premises and then their conclusion. Right. That's they don't normally do that. We don't normally do that in the way that we talk. We we skip stuff. We leave stuff unsaid, and mm-hmm. and the conversation can become. I've a come place across where you, some people that do talk like like. Have you? Well, just like William William Lane Craig. When oh, I've yeah. been his presence is just very articulate. That's and, true. That's and true. And will kind of <laughs> yeah He'll kind talk of in modus out. ponens. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Definitely, I mean, with most of my friends or, you know, in my marriage, most of our conversations, I, we have to do digging for the premises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, another uh, big fallacy, st- the straw man fallacy. Straw man fallacy. And what this one is, is you, you, uh, you know, let's say you're in a, you are in a discussion with someone, they're presenting an argument, and you, like, recast that argument that they gave poorly you misconstrue it you misconstrue it you poorly represent your opponent's views so that you could easily destroy them so instead of the knight in sterling armor yeah. uh, you've recreated their argument as a little straw man yeah. that your sword can cut right through to pieces you made it really easy to defeat so you're not really grappling with your opponent's view it's a made-up misconstrued weaker version of it but it it's almost like they're trying to slip it past the goalie. Like it, it looks like you're winning the argument, right. but the truth is, no, you're you're attacking an argument that's not the one I'm presenting. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So this happens all the time. Uh, I think we have the implicit desire to want to win and be right about things. Yeah, and so the temptation can be um, just to get the quick and easy points. I'm not going to grapple with the most uh, defensible, strong version of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Just going to recast it weaker and score my point and be right and get, get that little sense of elation that I'm right about the world. And yeah. Yeah. And that exploration can stop here. Yeah. I've figured it out. <laughs> all right. Fallacy number three, uh, a red herring. And these all have kind of weird names for them. Yeah. Red herring is where, Basically, you kind of divert the attention of the listener or the audience away from the discussion at hand to try to disguise a weakness in your argument. Yeah. And, and this this term comes from uh, like training bloodhounds to collect animals during the hunt. So they would, to make a bloodhound better at tracking an animal, they would drag a red herring fish, it's a stinky fish, over a trail and the best bloodhounds could still detect the deer scent. They would through. ignore the red herring. They would ignore the stinky fish smell. Yeah. And so that's our goal. We want to ignore the stinky train fish. ourselves <laughs> yeah. to ignore the stink and keep our, uh, you know, tracking the right thing. I think this is this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this usually comes up when the person presenting the red herring is either feeling cornered or threatened or they feel like they're, their one argument is about to fall down, so they will bring up an entirely separate issue um, and try to redirect the conversation. If you've ever been in an argument that seemed to go in circles, mm-hmm. like we're just not getting to the bottom of it, we talk about this one thing which leads to the next thing which leads to the next thing, and we're never solving any of these issues, Right. that's red herring at play. You're constantly getting rabbit-trailed into different discussions rather than keeping the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. Um, I remember some guys who were fiends for this in debates with William Lane Craig about, you know, does God exist and stuff. Guys like 
Christopher Hitchens, Lawrence Krauss, um, would bring up violence in the Old Testament somehow as being a part of their argument that God doesn't exist or something. But Craig, I mean, as a trained debater and philosopher, is pretty quick to point out, yeah, that's a total red herring, separate discussion of... Right. That's a whole separate discussion. What is scripture? How should these be read? That has no bearing on whether or not God exists. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you you see this all the time in political debates. Yeah. That, you know, you you have like, I mean, the debates are already kind of goofy as is. You only get 30 or 40 seconds to respond. But like, what's your view on taxes? And, you know, it's, or how would you do tax reform or what's going to be your plan? You know, it's really good that we spend taxes on the military and the military provides uh, such great defense for our nation. Yeah, and, like, yeah. and you go into this whole thing about being pro-military. Yeah. And by the like, and it can be confusing because they're saying maybe like true sentences that you agree with <laughs> and you are pro-military also. But then at the end, if you reflect back, you're like, oh, wait, they were asked about ta- taxes. Like taxes. <laughs> what's going to be the tax rate? They just dodged it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a fallacy of reasoning. You've diverted the attention away from the issue at hand. Yeah. The conclusions you're drawing are not not pertinent to yeah. the issue we were here to discuss. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Irrelevant. Okay, this is uh you've probably heard of this before, circular reasoning. I have heard of reasoning that. in a circle. Yes. Or begging the question, those are similar. Uh So circular reasoning would be I believe A because of B and I believe uh A cuz or I believe A because of B and I believe B because of A. Yeah. You cannot hold both of those. Right. Um, so you're reasoning in a circle. Or I mean that's a pretty tight little loop. Is it like the the only reason you would believe one of the premises is if you already accept the conclusion? Yeah. You already believe the conclusion. Right. When the premise is the premise is supposed to prove mm-hmm. the conclusion. So like I don't, this might ruffle some feathers. I feel Uh-oh. like I've already said it in past episodes, though. <laughs> uh, concerning the divine inspiration of Scripture, yeah. or the these Bibles that we have, uh, are these divinely inspired? That's the question at hand. And the conclusion that most folks are arguing for in our circles are, is yes. Yes. The Bible in its entirety is divinely inspired. Okay, that's fine. That's a, that's a conclusion you could argue for. What's uh, your reason? What are what's one of your premises for that? Uh, the Bible says that all Scripture is God breathed. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Time out. Feels like you've reasoned in a circle because the only reason that I would believe that uh, the truth of that passage, or at least like so far, like the only the evidence that's been presented so far is I would only believe that if I already thought that. The Bible was inspired. Yeah, I need that particular verse to be inspired for yeah. me to trust it. You know, yeah. So that can't that can't serve on its own as the one reason you think right Scripture is inspired. Not to say there can't be other reasons, but if that's the only reason, not enough. You've you reasoned are, in a circle. You've circular. committed a fallacy of reasoning. <laughs> is that too harsh? I mean, I mean, no, it's true. It's true. It's really sounded like a charge, like you're in a courtroom. You have yeah. committed yeah. a fallacy of reasoning. Guilty guilty (laughs) okay yeah uh now this one i struggle with totally to understand but let's just kind of hash it out here live all right the genetic fallacy okay and this is saying uh you're 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 attacking 
the origin or source of a belief rather than the content of it. Yeah. So uh, the, the truth of a belief or a proposition um, should be judged on its own merits. What, what's the evidence for and against this belief? Independent of how that belief arose. But to try to undermine it by pointing out how it came to be, yeah. how it came to be held, or you know, just how that belief originated is the genetic fallacy. Yes. I mean, do you agree that that's a fallacy? What do, what do you think about this one? Um, yeah, I mean, I do. I think, I think that makes sense because I think it's possible to accidentally arrive at true conclusions. Like, uh, I'm imagining maybe this is a bad analogy, but suppose you have monkeys on typewriters just going at it for Mm -hmm. years and eventually one of them writes a paper about (laughs) special relativity. Okay. Wow. No, it could just happen by chance. So what are you saying then? I'm saying you need to evaluate the truth of special relativity. In it's not enough to just say a monkey wrote that. It's still yeah. it still could be true. You know, like mm-hmm. oh these ideas are only presented to you because a monkey typed it randomly. Okay, that's true, but let's evaluate special relativity on its own and grapple whether whether or not we think that's true. Yeah. Independent of how the ideas came to us. Right. Um, is that fair or is, is that a bad analogy? Can I try to push back? I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I, I do think this is a fallacy, but I just wish I maybe understood it a little bit more. Because it, there do seem, and maybe I'm not committing the fallacy when I do this. Yeah. But I, some, I think I often discredit certain ideas based on like how long ago they were made. So, like, I'm not huh. going out of my way to really investigate the theory of phlogiston in physics. Right. And phlogiston at the time was this idea about, like, all substances have some phlogiston in it. Yeah. And depending on how much it has, that's the degree to which it burns when it's lit on fire. Right. It was used to, it was a hypothesis used to explain combustion. And so, like, I could start to tell you a story about how combustion works and there's oxygen and but i can't go very far i don't have a significant degree of physics or chemistry knowledge to really go into a full-blown combustion discussion with you yeah but i'm also not taking phlogiston seriously and i think based on like where it came from like it's just it was an older time they didn't have nearly the resources we have to discover these things and i kind of trust the modernity of microscopes and well that's what i want to push back on what you're doing there is just appealing to authority to save time right the scientific consensus today is not that phlogiston is a thing yeah so rather than spending time investigating old theories that the scientific authority has deemed out of date and no longer relevant isn't it the case that you're just appealing to authority and trusting the scientific majority there? Is that a fallacy? To to appeal to authority? Yeah. Uh, I th- well, a mistake in reasoning. Do you are you are you making the claim that phlogiston is is phlogiston is not a thing? Am I saying phlogiston is not a thing? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I believe that it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I want to say. I mean, just- I have a introduction to logic textbook in front of me okay and i just turned to the page to appeal to authority okay is what's a, it say 
is um well i think it's saying that it has like fallacious forms mm. but it also can have correct forms wow so not super helpful <laughs> sometimes it's good to appeal to authority sometimes it's not uh i mean this this particular one is saying uh when there's like consensus with authorities then it's not fallacious but when there's disagreement amongst authorities then it is wow so it just wow it almost becomes a probability thing yeah you know how sure of this can you be well how much consensus is there in the scientific community i mean it's not a deductive argument so it there's still room for error it's not like totally conclusive yeah so i'm not saying i am 100 percent certain that phlogiston doesn't exist yeah that's not the claim i don't believe it exists you're you're placing your you're putting your chips with the it scientific seems, majority yeah like there is no i don't think there's a single legitimate expert in the field yeah that would claim phlogiston <laughs> is a primary mechanic yeah for how combustion works yeah uh but but there are areas where experts disagree and so there you do have to be careful about appealing to authority right because then you're cherry picking your experts yeah but if this community that has like legitimate norms of how you come about data and how you get into the club of being an expert of peer review and all this stuff if all of that sound then when there's a consensus among experts uh you're justified in i'm justifying thing i'm not saying 100 100 certain yep but i'm justifying so i'm that's an appeal to authority that's non-fallacious okay but it can be fallacious but it could be yeah and so for that reason, I, I think you're not committing the genetic fallacy. Okay. Right? Right. It's really an appeal to authority. It's really an appeal. Yeah, okay. I think so. All right. But sometimes uh, genetic fallacy will come up with like, oh, the only reason you're a Christian is because you were born into a Christian home. If you were born in India, you'd be a Hindu and you'd be arguing for the truth of Hinduism. and Hinduism? If I was born where? In India, sure, yeah, they believe that. No, no, no. I was wondering, is that it's Hinduism? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, or if you were, I don't know, born in some Arabic country, you'd be a Muslim and be arguing for the truth of Islam. So, and that's meant to, that's meant to defeat your Christian belief. The claims of, right? The therefore, core Christian claims. therefore, you shouldn't believe in the truth of Christianity. It's it's only a product of where you were raised. That's the only reason you think that. Is that what the genetic fallacy is? I th- see. I thought I it was so. more like, um, like the claims of Christianity are false, or is that just a really clear fallacy? Maybe that is. The therefore, more, Christianity is false. <laughs> that just does. No one would argue that doesn't way. actually follow. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it. And so this is what we were talking about earlier. I guess I do. I am kind of persuaded by the notion that I need to be more cautious mm. and more self-reflective about my evidence b- based on that idea that they're probably right. Like that, it is, is so, true. Yeah, totally. Sociologically, it's it's probably the case that depending on where I was born, I would adopt the primary religious belief in that area. Absolutely. And would be you know all things considered like equally zealous. Yeah. Or excited about any of those ideas. Yeah. So that should give me pause to jump to the conclusion that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that I'm not wrong. Right. 
or that I, it doesn't mean that I'm wrong or that I'm not wrong. It's just, it's just, it just gives it's like, something to consider. Sim- similar to the ad hominem case, it just be careful about your justification levels yeah. for making certain claims, but it doesn't undermine the claims themselves. And this is, uh, would we say this is a bias? You are biased. Yeah. You, it was likely that you would believe Christianity given your upbringing. Therefore, you shouldn't believe in Christianity. That doesn't follow. That doesn't follow. That is a genetic fallacy. Yeah. You've undermined my credence level based solely on where I was born. Yeah. And there might be other reasons to have my credence level be higher. Maybe yeah. I have like testimonial or private evidence that's yeah. not being factored into that equation. Yeah. Fair. But don't also deceive yourself in thinking that you are completely unbiased. Right. Yeah. Okay, one, I think just one more. And it's the gambler's fallacy. Oh, I hate this one. <laughs> I hate this one. Does my head in. Okay. I don't think it's a fallacy, mate. <laughs> I know it is, but I don't think so. Here's what Wikipedia says about it. Oh, it's the tendency to think that future probabilities are altered by past events when in reality they are unchanged. Yeah. This fallacy arises so from a, an erroneous conceptualization of the law of large numbers. <laughs> okay, so here's our case study for today. We have a fair coin, meaning yeah. it has two sides. When you flip it, it has an equal... 50-50 chance. That it'll be heads or tails. Yeah. Now, you flip this thing five times, okay? Yeah. And each time it's come up heads. What will the next one be? I know. I know what the right answer is. There's a 50-50 chance on this next toss that it will be tails or heads. The but- gambler's fallacy says that it's more likely to be tails this time because, look, I have five heads in a row. How? Isn't there something, though, here to... You need to calculate what's the probability of throwing six heads in a row. What's the probability of that? It's really low. Yes, that's true. It's really unlikely that I'm going to throw six in a row. It's more likely that I wouldn't throw six in a row. And if I don't throw... That's, that's where you're wrong. That's the false statement that you've has made you commit a fallacy. I expose it again? Yeah, so you say I it say, again. Okay, so I said it's very unlikely <laughs> that I would throw six in a row. Yep. So it's more probable than not that I will not throw six in a row. Uh, that's also true. So if I'm at five, it's very unlikely. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Dang it, dude. I mean, I know. I get, I end up tangling myself in circles here. But it really, if I am to throw a sixth one. Don't say it really feels like it. Just try to give me the probability statements. I'm not good with them. I was okay. bad in stats, man. Okay. I was bad at that class. But if I throw a sixth one, I should marvel because I've done something very improbable. So here, here's the weird uh, like statistical fact that m- makes w- what you're doing a fallacy. So the probability that all six of them are heads when you flip them is the exact same probability of you flipping heads and then tails and then heads and tails and heads and tails. It's the same exact probability of throwing five heads and the last one being tails. It's a problem with me recognizing Every order. single permutation of heads or tails. It's equally unlikely. Well, just, well, we don't have to even say, yes, they all have the same chance of happening. The problem is in me recognizing a pattern. So you said two true things. It's really unlikely for me to throw six heads. Well, yeah, 
every single six round permutation has the same probability and it's all low yeah okay and it's it's uh really likely that i will um not have six heads in a row yeah yeah i mean there's tons of other permutations where you didn't you don't have that but that still doesn't impact this future probability of throw six yeah it's a fair coin and it's 50-50 chance. How does distribution fit into this? Normal distribution and variance. Can you explain, so, explain yourself? So over time, uh, given enough throws, I would expect them to be roughly 50-50. That's right. That's what just what we mean by probability. Yeah. Right. Assigning a percentage. Right. So if As it's, the number of throws approach infinity... Yeah. you will have an equal number of outcomes. And so is the problem just that infinity is impossible to reach? Because if I, let's say I throw 4,000 times, I'm just making the number bigger okay. to try to yeah, juice up, just the, juice up the emotions here. <laughs> yeah, I throw 4,000 heads in a row. Oh, man. Well, see, now I'm skeptical of the coin. <laughs> if I throw 4,000 <laughs> right. heads in a row. Yeah. But like over time, I should exp- the the results are very skewed from what I know the probability to be, mm-hmm. right? It's been 100% heads. Or, or maybe even just so that we're less skeptical of the coin, let's say in 4,000 throws, 3,500 have been heads and 500 have been tails. Yeah. I should expect that over so the more next... more tails four- are coming. My yeah, way. more tails need to come for this probability to be balanced back out to 50-50 because right now it's really skewed. Well, that's for sure true. But I don't know anything but about this next throw. Right. Yeah. Another, this is uh, why I shouldn't gamble, man. <laughs> this is why. Another way of thinking about it is uh, be careful about assigning the probability or uh, equating the probability of a single event to a set of events. The probability of any set of events starts to grow down really far. But the probability of a single event yeah. is going to be far higher. You used to do this in WoW all the time when you wanted loot. Do you remember that? No. <laughs> you would do slash rolls to try to get all your low rolls out of the way. Oh, right, yeah. So that you could get a high roll when people were bidding on the item. Right, that's foolish. <laughs> now, I mean, I, I don't know enough to get into this without, or just more than this one sentence that I want to say. Okay, but say it though. I'm pretty sure that we don't have any kind of fair random number generator that a perfect one has not been found. I think that's true. Aren't they all based on like the date? There's something. That's how they're seeded, right? Yeah. Some internal atomic clock that's, that's how they get their initial seed. So maybe it is the case that, uh, you know, this gambler's fallacy can still, it's non-fallacious reasoning on your part because there's no such thing as a fair coin. Mm. But that information is so hidden from you. It might as well be random. Yeah. Yeah. That one upsets me. I hear I hear your explanation. Yeah. I agree with it, but I don't like it. But I think this is helpful though because uh I think that most people consider themselves far more rational than they are. Oh man. Yeah, I do. There are things that we find intuitive uh that are false. Intuitions can be wrong. They can be very misleading. And the gambler's fallacy is a great example of that. You really want I mean I, even as I describe it, 
You feel the, the tug. I do feel the emotional tug of, man, it's probably going to come up tails this time, surely. Yeah. And it's just not the case. So I think that should give us all pause. Again, this theme of uh, it's not necessarily that you're wrong, but check your justification level, your evidence level. Uh, do you have the right amount of evidence to make an assertion or a claim? Avoid fallacious reasoning, a flaw in it. Be mindful that there are easy traps to fall into. Yeah. Be vigilant. Yeah. This will help you become more open to truth. It sure will. You'll be slightly embarrassed like <laughs> I am. Yeah. But you will become more open and humble. <laughs> cool. All right. A little departure from normal, like super theological conversations. But again, I think a lot of these, uh, even the gambler's fallacy perhaps can come up. Yeah, they're relevant. Um, I mean, you might even say like with healings and stuff. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, as, actually, as I think about it in certain charismatic circles, there might even be the sense that like, <laughs> uh, God hasn't healed someone in our congregation for cer- certainly it's oh, going to happen soon. It, sooner. We're due. Uh, yeah. We're, we're due, due for one. <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But all right. Well, this all was right. part one. Make sure to tune into part two for a little bit more psychological analysis of our cognitive biases. Wow. These were the fallacies of reasoning that you can avoid, but the the uh, cognitive biases are a little bit trickier to avoid. They're just part of who you are. Uh, yeah, you can recognize them and try to try to correct uh, for them. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> all right. Well, okay. we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. See ya. Oh, should we have given website? I think we should. And ask them to leave a review. All right. If you think we're wrong about some of the stuff that these aren't actually fallacies or if you have you're like oh you left out this really important fallacy or uh, you spotted us making making them. fallacies today <laughs> <laughs> while trying to explain them uh yeah right into the show that'd be really helpful leave a review on itunes or follow us on our new Podbean page heck yeah that'd be pretty cool uh check out the new website design uh, if, you, if you primarily listen to something on a you know podcast republic or one of these things go check out the new website yeah it's been redesigned so <laughs> uh so you can also yeah you can message us at open to truth podcast at gmail.com and of course our website open to truth podcast.com we're trying to buy the open to truth.com url yeah someone's it's, gouging us it's 300 bucks yeah so, so and i we might have to wait until indignant yeah, yeah about <laughs> it so it's just the principle of the matter right yeah All right. Well, thanks for listening. Hopefully we hear from you and we'll uh, talk soon. See you. Bye.